It's an amazing thing to not only believe the truths about God's faithfulness, but to sing them with one another, isn't it? It's, it's an amazing thing about corporate worship and why God calls us to be together week in and week out. Is we know we believe these things, maybe. Maybe we doubt we believe these things, maybe. Whatever it might be. But you come in here, and you realize you're not alone. And you look around, and you see these testimonies of the faithfulness of God and the way he has held us all fast and how he will do it to the end. And that's pretty much the sermon. So I could just kind of sit down and <laughs> go from there. But... um Paul says it a bit more eloquently in Romans 4, so we should really do justice to what he does there. Um, As we continue through Romans, Paul's making an extended argument, and argument could even sound the wrong way. Paul's bringing extended encouragement. He's saying amazing extended good news that will address this problem that's there with the believers in Rome because they're experiencing division, there's kind of there's boasting going on. They're not treating each other right. And Paul has been hard at work as we come to our passage in chapter 4 where we keep talking about Abraham. Paul has been hard at work helping us see that we're all saved in exactly the same way. And he's showing us that when we realize that, when it's not just something that we say, but when it's something we truly believe, it shatters our boasting. And it unites us together, and it invites a world of sinners to receive God's grace. And so this is what he is showing us over and over again. And last week we saw how he's just beating this drum that everything about Abraham's life was not because Abraham was such a great guy, but because Abraham had faith in a great God. And we'll see what that looks like uh, today. And what we saw last week is if we have faith like Abraham, then our account is the same as Abraham's account. That if we were to pull up the bank account of our standing before God, we would see what is our debt forgiven by faith in Christ. We would see what is our standing before God righteous because of faith in Christ. And we would see what is the status of God's blessing upon us in our lives. It is at its max because we have all the promises that are yes and amen in the Lord Jesus Christ. And all of this is received simply by faith. But I don't know about you, but when I hear the term faith, which we've been talking about a lot in Romans, it can sound a little bit abstract, right? Um, I was wondering what people think of faith, and I did the responsible thing, right? I went to Pinterest and Googled, Faith sayings. (laughs) Uh, That cracks me up every time I think of that. Um, And so, yeah, a a Pinterest board full of sayings about faith. It was fascinating. Um, And some of the things that come up there is faith is just letting the past go. Faith is believing that good things are coming your way. Um, My favorite, I did my best and God did the rest. Um, That is not the shirt that Abraham was wearing. (laughs) That is what Paul is is saying. That is not what Abraham was saying. And one of the things that consistent, I just kind of consistently chuckle about is when we watch like reality TV shows or singing competitions or athletic competitions. And at the end, is there anything you'd like to say to everybody as they're leaving the show because they didn't make it all the way? The message is just believe in yourself and you can have whatever you want. 
as they're not getting what they want and leaving the show. And I just always find that so fascinating. And so I, I think that just goes to show why when we hear, if you have faith like Abraham's faith, it can be, ah, what exactly is that? I mean, that sounds great, but what is going on there? Well, Paul today, as he continues talking about Abraham's faith, he's going to help us understand what it was like. And then what he amazingly shifts into is that his faith, he shows us how his faith is the same as our faith. And uh, I I trust that you'll be encouraged as we consider these things together. So let me read our passage. We're going to be looking in particular um, at verses 17 to 25, but I want us to hear the context back in Romans 4. 13. And if you'd like to follow along, it's printed there inside your bulletin. Uh, It also tells where you can find that in a pew Bible if you'd like to look in a pew Bible. But hear God's word as I read Romans 4, 13 to 25. It says, For the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir of the world did not come through the law but through the righteousness of faith. For if it is the adherents of the law who are to be the heirs, then faith is null and the promise is void. For the law brings wrath, but where there is no law, there is no transgression. That is why it depends on faith, in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring, not only to the adherent of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations, in the presence of the God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. In hope he believed against hope, that he should become the father of many nations, as he had been told, so shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead, since he was about a hundred years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. That is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. But the words, it was counted to him, were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. So far the reading of God's word. Let me pray that he'll help us as we consider it this morning. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. We desperately need to hear it. We live with all kinds of thoughts and beliefs in our hearts that aren't in accord with the truth. We live with all kinds of weaknesses and struggles and doubts, and we need encouragement and help to to know who you are and how you love us and what you give us so that we can be your people. We need your Spirit's help as we consider your word. May he give us faith to believe what is really true. May he give us strength where we are weak. And may he make us see the beauty and the wonder of all that our Lord Jesus has done for us in his life, death, and resurrection. It's in Jesus' name we ask these things. Amen. Well, we'll consider this passage today in two points. The first is Abraham's faith, 
And then secondly, we'll consider our faith. So we'll look at Abraham's faith. We'll look at our faith, which is just another way of saying the whole thing is going to be talking about faith. <laughs> but first, let's consider Abraham's faith. And we, we really notice this in verses 17 to 22. You notice how 17 carries on, and it, it continues this theme in what Paul's saying of how the promise to Abraham wouldn't come to him by the law, but it would come to him by faith. And Paul here quotes Genesis 17. Genesis 17 is where Abraham is circumcised, but it's also where God's promise of Abraham having offspring, think of this, offspring as numerous as the stars, that promise is spoken of as having already happened. Did you notice what it says there? And it's quoting Genesis 17. I have made you the father of many nations. But at this point, Abraham and Sarah haven't had a child together. And yet he's saying, I've already made you the father of many nations. And so in response to this promise with no offspring from Sarah, Abraham believed he had faith. It says in verse 18, in hope he believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations as he had been told back in Genesis 15, so shall your offspring be. I find this statement here in verse 18 to to just be such a beautiful statement of how Christian faith works and how we see it working out in the life of Abraham. It's in hope, believing against hope. In hope, believing against hope. As we think about that, I, I just want us to see three things in this first point about Abraham's faith. The first is this. Faith is believing against human hope. Faith is believing against human hope. You see, true faith doesn't ignore the reality of the situation before us. Faith is not about somehow just Christianly covering our eyes or just somehow thinking positively or somehow obliviously saying that everything is fine in our lives or in the world. Instead, it tells us that Abraham did the exact opposite. He realistically assessed the desperateness of his situation. It says in verse 19, he did not weaken in faith, listen to this, when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead, or when he considered the barrenness, it's actually the word deadness, of Sarah's womb. Abraham heard this promise, life will come from your body, offspring will come from Sarah's womb. And we looked at, when he looked at his body, which was close to 100 years old, when he looked at Sarah's body and when he considered the facts, you know what he saw? He saw double death. He saw double deadness. He was too old to father a child. And he knew the deadness of her womb. He knew that this promise was not something that was humanly possible. His hope was against human efforts or against human hope. But secondly, faith is not believing against hum- not only believing against human hope, but faith is believing in God's power. Faith is believing in God's power. 
verse 21 says he was fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. God could make this promised offspring happen. And there were specific things about God in which Abraham was trusting. Verse 17 tells us that it's the God, he was trusting in the God who gives life to the dead and who calls into existence things that do not exist. When we think about the human condition, death and nothingness are things that are insurmountable for us. As much as technology improves, as much as it will continue to improve, we will not overcome death. And we can make and create a lot of great things, especially if you have a lot of Legos. Um, But we cannot create something out of nothing, especially just by our very words. But, and so Abraham's body and Sarah's body are as good as dead. No life is coming from them. But Abraham's faith was not in his body or in her body, but it was in God who gives life to the dead just by speaking. And the offspring and a great nation and a bunch of people as numerous as the sand on the seashore did not exist. Not even one child from Sarah existed, but he believed in the God who calls into existence the things that do not exist. And so faith is believing in God's power. And in this sense, faith is actually rather rational. You know, faith is often spoken of as completely irrational. It's just this blind leap that religious people take as kind of this crutch, you know. Bertrand Russell, in his book, Why I Am Not a Christian, he says, faith is this. It's a conviction which cannot be shaken by contrary evidence. And so the picture he's creating is, the faith of Christians is this. There is all kinds of evidence to the contrary, but you still foolishly believe something that everything says is untrue. But you see, that's not entirely true. That's not what our faith actually is. Yes, there is all kinds of evidence according to what is humanly possible that it's as good as dead for our ideas to come to pass. But there are also all kinds of evidence of why it is reasonable to trust in God. We look around and we see evidence upon evidence of his power to bring life out of nothing. And we see evidence of his character and his trustworthiness. And if if we're doubting it or we're not feeling it at the present, think back to singing, Great is thy faithfulness together. And stop and talk to one another and hear about the testimony after testimony of the faithfulness of God who has brought life and renewal when all we could see in the moment was death and destruction. You see, it is not unreasonable to trust in an all-powerful and perfectly trustworthy God to do what he has promised to do. And so our faith is believing against human hope, and it's believing in God's power. But thirdly, our faith is believing over time. Faith is also believing over time. It's it's a process. It says there in verses 20 and 21 about Abraham, 
No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God. But he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. I don't know how you read that. Maybe it's encouraging to you. Maybe it's discouraging to you. I may be a melancholy person or just realistic. (laughs) I don't know. We debate about that often. But when I read, no unbelief made him waver, I immediately think Abraham is this giant in the faith and he never doubted God's promises. And I immediately think, well, that's way different than me. (laughs) But you see, Abraham's faith, while it was an exemplary faith, held up very high in the testimony of Scripture, it was not a perfect, flawless faith, was it? This passage is fascinating because what Paul does, and I think he does it very much on purpose, is he ties together both the promise in Genesis 15, so shall your offspring be, so pretty early on uh, in Abraham's life. And then he ties in the statement 14 to 29 years later of Genesis 17, I have made you the father of many nations when Isaac had still not even been conceived. So a lot of time is going on in Abraham's life. And remember, back in Genesis 15 is when Abraham had faith that was counted to him as righteousness, that faith. But what took place between Genesis 15 and Genesis 17? Was it just a flawless pursuit of God's promises? No, chapter 16 happens. And in chapter 16, Abraham and Sarah take things into their own hands. And they realize, boy, God's really being slow about this promise thing. Why don't we try bringing it about through Hagar? And Ishmael is born. Does that sound like perfect faith to you? But that's the kind of faith that God is still counting as righteousness is part of what Paul wants us to see. It's far from perfect. And if you say, well, that's just, I don't know, you could dismiss it somehow, Um It also happens in Genesis 17. This this quote where God comes to Abraham and reaffirms his promise and then Abraham is circumcised and the covenant's ratified and things just continue to move forward. When God says, I have made you the father of many nations, what is Abraham's response? He laughs and he says to himself, under his breath almost, shall a child be born to a man who is a hundred years old? Shall Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child? And then he goes on to say to God, let's just do this through Ishmael. So we have to understand Paul's statement here that Abraham's not wavering and growing strong in his faith is also describing the human experience of faith, not some perfect thing that we could never attain to. It doesn't mean that Abraham never had moments of wondering about how this would come about. It doesn't mean that Abraham never laughed when he thought about how unimaginable something so glorious would be. It doesn't mean that Abraham never had questions or concerns about what God was doing. But Abraham continued throughout those decades on a trajectory of belief. At the end of the day, at the end of the decades, at the end of his life, he hadn't given up on God or the fact that God could and would keep his promise as much as he couldn't understand it in the time. 
And what's fascinating, as we learn from Hebrews 11, is as time went on, we get the glimpses of how God was actually strengthening his faith, like Paul says here. When we come to Genesis 22, and God calls him to sacrifice Isaac. Now think about that. We've arrived at Genesis 22. Isaac, the son of promise, the one upon whom all the promise hinges has been born, the laughter that's been given to them. And God calls him to sacrifice the son of promise. Abraham was willing, not because he's a child abuser in some way, not because he had any disregard for Isaac's life, but because Hebrews 11 tells us he believed that if God was calling him to sacrifice Isaac, that he knew that since God had promised that life would come through him, that God could bring Isaac back from the dead. That's what Abraham's faith had grown and matured into over time. It's this faith, it's this trust in God's trustworthiness to keep his promises. As it grows and progresses, but starts back there, (laughs) that in verse 22 he says, was counted to Abraham as righteousness. When we think about Abraham, we find this amazing example in Scripture of what a maturing faith is looks like. One of the things that I love so much about Grace Bible Church, and and when people come and and we get to talk about what the church is like, one of the things that people notice is we have people from every age group here. And part of the beauty in that is that we have people who are getting closer to Abraham's stage in life than some of the others of us. (laughs) And what's so beautiful about that as a church is the encouragement that that is to us. There is nothing like gathering with people who have walked longer in the faith and who have seen the faithfulness of God and that faith grows and strengthens over time. And as we look around and as my children look around and they see people with gray hair or no hair. Thanks, Mark. As they see that, as they see us worshiping God for his faithfulness, it's exemplary and it encourages us and it spurs us on. But part of the beauty of this passage and about Abraham's example is it's this portion in scripture that says to us all, as we, we want to finish well, right? That's our goal with wherever we are at in the Christian life. And we say, how do we do that? And what does it look like for faith to go strong over time? And we can see Abraham, who's a hundred years old, and he has this kind of faith. And I was reading uh, what a fellow pastor wrote about uh, Hebrews 11, And I think it describes it so well for us. It says, Abraham's faith was a faith that looked forward and it looked upward. And I think that is the trajectory that Paul is showing us here, that scripture is holding out for us as we seek to age faithfully over time and finish well. But when I consider that, that faith is looking forward and upward, forward to what God has promised, and upward to the God who can actually bring that about, 
And then I hear what is marketed to all of us and programmed by algorithms to come across our screens. (laughs) And in particular, even as we age and become in different demographics, you know what I hear more than anything is the exact opposite messaging. Everything about it is saying, don't look up, look downward. Look at how bad things are. Feel the fear of where things are going. Look at the atrocities all around and look downward to the programs and to the people who can assuage your fears. And it's not calling us to look upward to the God who can truly bring the solution to all of this and to truly look forward to not just foretastes of good things, but the true goodness of which he promises. And you see, the the faith that's being held out for all of us to grow in and to pursue is this faith that can realistically look at the reality of the world and how it is, and then who can know the promise of what God says will one day be, and who can trust him for the grace that in the here and now we can walk by faith according to that promise in a way that pleases him and is a light to the world. You know, so much of what's being told to us screams at us, don't look forward, look backward. If we could just dial things back and turn back the clock and go back to a safer, better time. But faith calls us to say, this is the here and now. God has not changed And he will be good to us in the midst of this as he brings about all that he has promised. That's what Abraham holds out for us. And I want us all, and we as a church leadership, we want to be the kind of church where that is what's growing, where that is the target, where we are spurring one another on in that kind of faith, regardless of the against hope things that we see all around us each day. And so, we've considered Abraham's faith by way of example. But Paul doesn't leave it there. What's fascinating as we come to the end of chapter 4 is that the whole point has been to consider what Abraham's faith says about our faith. And so we move from considering Abraham's faith to now our second point, considering our faith. And we see that in particular in verses 23 to 25. You know, you could read through this and say, all this stuff about Abraham's great, but it can just feel like a bunch of religious talk. Abraham's just another super spiritual guy. But Paul's whole point is Abraham wasn't a super spiritual guy who then God declared righteous, but Abraham was an ungodly guy who believed what God promised he could do, and God declared him righteous for that. And what Paul says here is just fascinating, that when God by his spirit inspired the author of Genesis to write the words, it was counted to him, it was intentionally said that way because of today. (laughs) Because God wanted you to know, God wanted me to know, that if you believe like Abraham believed, the same thing will happen to you. It is righteousness will be counted to us who believe. It was written for us, Paul says. And that's an amazing thing. And so the gospel calls us to believe in the same God as Abraham believed. 
but there is a significant difference or a significant development for us. The gospel for us is now clearer to us than it was for Abraham. Abraham knew the architect and the builder of the heavenly city. He knew the goal of what God had promised, this promised outcome of heirs of the world, the the new creation existence. But he hadn't yet seen the plans. He hadn't yet been presented with that 3D model of how God was going to bring this all about. It was still shadowy from Abraham's perspective. But Paul says that our faith is not only in him who can bring life from the dead, which is what Abraham was trusting in, but verse 24 says, our faith is in God who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord. You see, Abraham was looking in faith forward to what God had promised he would do. We now with clarity in our faith look backward to what God has done for us in raising our Lord Jesus from the dead. Our faith looks to what God has done through Christ. When you think of the work of Christ, what comes to mind? When I say Jesus' work for you, I usually think of his death on a cross. And hopefully you do as well. That is certainly part of it. But do you notice how much in this text Paul wants us to go further than that? go beyond just Jesus' death. When we think of our faith in Christ, we're to go beyond his death to his resurrection, the God who raised our Lord Jesus from the dead. And in verse 25, he gives one of the most succinct and beautiful statements of Jesus' work that I think we can ponder for eternity. He says in verse 25, Jesus was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. It's a twofold movement of the work of Christ, and both of them are essential, and I just want to consider them in turn as we think about how faith is looking at what God has done through Christ. First, he says, Jesus, our Lord, was delivered up for our trespasses. He was delivered up. This speaks of his death. He was turned over to the authorities and condemned to die. He was killed on a Roman cross, but it wasn't because of his own guilt He was delivered up for our trespasses. There's all kinds of gathering together and echoes of Isaiah 53. The Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. And in that sense, Jesus' death, it says something about you if you are trusting in Christ. It says that our trespasses, our sins, your trespasses, your sins were placed upon him him. When you become aware of your own sin, when you become aware of your own ungodliness and ways that you have transgressed God's law, Paul says, I want you to think of Jesus, betrayed by the kiss of a friend, delivered up to the courts and wrongly condemned, bound and beaten and flogged, nailed to a cross pierced by a Roman spear, his body taken down and laid in a tomb. And that says to you, your trespasses were paid for by the death of Christ. He was delivered up for them. He died the death that you deserve for your sin. 
And so we believe in what God did in the Lord Jesus Christ by delivering him up. But there's that second movement as well. Jesus, our Lord, was also raised for our justification. Jesus was raised for our justification. When you think about the resurrection, how do you think about it? I think sometimes I think of it as just a pragmatic necessity. Jesus is in a grave. We know he needs to get back to heaven. So God's going to raise him, and that's how he gets there. It's kind of just this thing that has to take place. Scripture tells us that Jesus' resurrection was God's word of vindication for Jesus. It was God's declaration that Jesus was righteous. You see, Jesus did what Adam and everyone else failed to do. He did not earn death as a wage for his sin, did he? He was unjustly put to death, but in that death he paid the wage that we all had earned. But when God raised him from the dead and the Spirit gave life to his body, 1 Timothy 3.16 says he was vindicated. It's the same word that Paul's using all over the place here. He was justified. He was declared righteous. It was God the Father's declaration to him as the Messiah and the second Adam. Death no longer has a hold on you. The sins you bore, condemnation has been paid. The life that you lived was perfect. And now heavenly eternal, glorified life is yours as the Lord Jesus Christ, raised forever in glory as the first human who ever assumed that position. And so Jesus' resurrection was his justification. It was the declaration that he is righteous. But what is most amazing is that not only was Jesus' resurrection his justification, but do you see what Paul says here in verse 25? He was raised for our justification. Jesus' resurrection is a declaration about you just as much as his death is a declaration about you. Just as Adam sinned and in, in that his wage of death is there for all who are in Adam. We all die because Adam sinned, Paul's going to say in Romans 5. Jesus, as the second Adam, lived a perfectly righteous life. And all who believe in him will receive him, be united to him, and receive what he earned. We're united to him by faith, and what do we receive? We receive his righteousness, We receive his reward. By faith, you've been united to Christ and what is true of the risen Lord Jesus is now true of you in some way. His verdict is your verdict. His reward is your reward. His life, his resurrection glorified, new creation existent, spirit-empowered life is your life. You are new creation in him because as much as you were united to Adam and get what Adam deserved, 
so also by faith you are just as united to Christ and get what Christ has earned. Brothers and sisters, his resurrection actually is your resurrection. There aren't two resurrections that Jesus kicks off here. He is the beginning of the new creation as the first fruits. He's the first raised human. And we all, when he returns, will follow in that same resurrection so that how Jesus is in his glorified existence is how we will be. And what is private now and something that that we have as a declaration to us that's then put on display in in baptism, one day it will be made known for all the world to see when Jesus returns and all who are in him are raised and shown to be righteous in him. And what Paul is saying in all of that, even if we can't track all that theology and need to ponder it for a really long time, This is the point. What God has done in Christ, it's received by faith. All of it. All of it. Paul's point throughout all this is that for everyone who believes, they receive it. It all from start to finish is of grace so that God could guarantee it. And so I just want to say this. Whatever you have done, whoever you are, whatever has happened to you, whatever you think that God could never forgive or whatever wrong he could never make right or whatever grief he could never eclipse with glory, all of this is given to you not because of anything you've done, but simply by believing in Jesus and what he did for you. If you have never trusted in Christ today, this is for you. All this can be yours, just like it has been for us, just like it was for Abraham. John Stott says, grace gives and faith takes. Faith's exclusive function is just to humbly receive what grace offers. And what grace offers is the Lord Jesus Christ and all his benefits for all who trust in him. And so our faith looks back to what God has done in Christ. And I just want to say two more things about our faith. Our faith is also in what will come. Part of the reason that Paul talks so much about Abraham is because like Abraham, we too are still walking by faith and not by sight, aren't we? We've received the fulfillment of God's promises. They are yes and amen in the Lord Jesus Christ. But we are still awaiting the fullness of what God has promised. And we look around, and from a human perspective, there's very little hope. (laughs) We see death and nothingness all around. But faith looks not only to what has happened in Christ, but still to what awaits us in glory. Paul has talked about giving life to the dead, right? God who does that. There's only one other time in scriptures where Paul ties those two thoughts together. And it's in Romans 8.11. And I think he's doing it on purpose because Romans 8 is unpacking everything that our faith is in right here. 
And you know what he says? If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, which is what we're celebrating today in Pentecost Sunday, that Jesus in his ascension has poured out his spirit. And if you are trusting in him, you have the spirit of Christ dwelling in you. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. We are looking ahead to that fullness, that resurrection hope. Right now, like the patriarchs, we dwell in tents. And these bodily tents are outwardly wasting away. But even now, brothers and sisters, the spirit who raised Christ from the dead is dwelling within us. And in all the difficulty and trials, in all the weakness and all the monotony, what's he doing? He's inwardly renewing us day by day. And when Christ returns, we will be transformed, raised in that resurrection body and receiving the fullness of having our bodies raised as Christ was raised. We will experience together with Abraham the fullness of all that God had promised, inheriting the world, new heavens, new earth, a world where there's no longer creation groaning in the aches and pains of the fall, but a world where God dwells with us again and every tear is wiped away and we see the glory that has surpassed and subsumed every tear, every ache, and every pain. And so we look to what is ahead and then finally this. Our faith looks back to what Jesus has done. It looks ahead to the fullness of what is to come but our faith is also in what God is doing now. In Romans 8, again, Paul picks up on that word. Remember he said the Lord Jesus was delivered up for our trespasses? It says this in Romans 8.32, He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up. It's the same word. He delivered up his son for us all. And what's Paul's conclusion? How will he not also with him, with giving us the Lord Jesus, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? You see, God's favor is not something that's far off that we're just waiting for one day. We're not just waiting until Christ returns. His gracious giving of all good things, it is happening to us even now even when it doesn't feel like it, even when we don't feel like citizens of that heavenly city, he calls us to look at Jesus and to see his promise that nothing, nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. If we have Jesus, we have the Father's love and he is graciously giving us every good thing And one day we will see how he has made all things beautiful in his time. And so you see how Abraham's faith, in a very shadowy way, was our faith. We are doing the same as Abraham for the days that we have on this earth. Looking back, looking ahead, and looking in the present. Trusting in the trustworthiness of of our God and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ, who by faith is our Father as well, 
and loves us as his beloved children. May God, by his spirit, help us to grow strong in our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we confess that we are weak, that our faith is often small, and we take such comfort in the words of our Lord when he says that it's faith like a mustard seed that gains the kingdom. We thank you that you have poured out the wonders of your heavenly kingdom upon us through the Lord Jesus Christ, and we receive him and his blessings all that he is by faith. Will you strengthen our trust in your trustworthiness? Will you help us to more and more know the wonder of all that you have given, are giving, and will give to us one day, all through our older brother, Jesus Christ? It's in his name we pray. Amen.